Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. So, earlier we had our time of confession and absolution or forgiveness, and I reminded you before of what I was told about, which was to use those Ten Commandments. But how would our confession have been changed this morning if I'd actually read for you the epistle lesson first? Because in there we have all this instruction, right? In Romans chapter 12, verses 9 and following, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Anybody convicted yet? Anybody awake yet? Okay. You ever cling to evil instead of hating it? Because you did confess your sins earlier, so that's probably happening, right? Is all of your sin, is all of your love sincere? You would hope so, right? But maybe not as sincere as we would like to imagine it is. Then it goes, honor one another above yourselves. Rats. Uh, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. We probably have some uh, confessing to do, don't we? And it's very interesting because you look at this and you think, boy, those must all be imperatives, those must all be commands, and yet every one of those is a participle. Now again, unless you're some sort of a Greek language or a a grammar fan, that doesn't mean anything to you, okay? What I want to let you know is that what you sometimes expect to see in Scripture, you don't, okay? Isn't that true? What sometimes we expect to see, we don't. However, God has multiple ways of getting something done. How many of you know Matthew 28, 19, and 20? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. You all know it, right? Okay, that word go, therefore go, you know what that is? That's a participle. Okay, so really what's happening is participles can be used like imperatives. It can be used like a command. What I want to get to you, get you too, is to say, you know what? When God uses his language to accomplish a goal, his goal is to say, this in Romans 12 isn't just a bunch of suggestions. Just like God doesn't say, hey, you know what? Go and make disciples if it really works into your schedule and you kind of feel like it and you really, you know, it kind of fits with who you are as a person, then you go ahead and go do that. But otherwise, you know, if it's just not something that pleases you, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. Is that what God says? No, it's not, actually. And so when God says that you are to honor others above yourself, that you're to bless those who persecute you, and that you're to bless and do not curse, that's not just a suggestion. He doesn't simply also say, do not be overcome by evil, you know, overcome evil with good if it's easy, if it's what you feel like doing. These are participles used to remind us of our work as God's people. Okay, so that's first, and that that brings things to mind. Then I have this little, this Keller devotion I sent out to a bunch of you yesterday. Um, Some of you didn't get it. I didn't send it to everybody. But he uses Psalm 36. So Psalm 36, verses 1 through 4 say this. I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So the wicked have no fear of God before their eyes. Now, there's a, there's a 
big amount of words, when you're translating from one language to another, there's a big array of words. Okay, so fear of God doesn't just mean one thing. Fear of God could be awe or respect or adoration or admiration or fear and trembling. And so how is it being used here? We always have to look. The context is, do you know? Anybody know? Context is king. Let's say that together. Context is king. Therefore, we have to look here and say, what does it mean? Well, he's talking about the wicked have no fear of God. So would the wicked really stand in awe of our God? Probably not. Okay. But should they have fear and trembling of our God? Yes. So that's probably what it means here. Okay. So they, there's no fear of God in their eyes. They don't, they don't think there's going to be any sort of consequence for their actions. They just do whatever they want to do. Okay? Then it goes on to say this. In their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. The words of their mouths are wicked and deceitful. They fail to act wisely or do good. Even on their beds, they plot evil. They commit themselves to a sinful course and do not reject what is wrong. Well, why do I bring all this up? Because we want to learn how to follow Jesus. Does anybody know what the two things are that come before following Jesus? Take up your cross is the one right before it. What's the one before that? This is great. I'm having fun. I hope you guys are too. Okay? So we are to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. Man, this is easy. I'm so glad I came to church today. This is like the easiest thing ever. Denying ourselves, no sweat there. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Take up our cross, no sweat there. Following Jesus, this is easy street. Or maybe not. This is why we wear green, because it's a time for us to grow. You know what I wanted to do beforehand? Can I take a little aside here today? Sure. Yes. Okay, so we're going to do it anyway. Oh, let me do this first, and we'll take the aside. Anatomy of sin. Fearing God, verse 1, is not mere belief in him. Remember, how many times do I ask you, and you talk about your kids or grandkids or other people, they believe in God. Well, listen to what I read here in just a minute. Fearing God is not mere belief in him. It is to be so filled with joyful awe before the magnificence of God, joyful awe before the magnificence of God, that we tremble at the privilege of knowing, serving, and pleasing him. This is the part I want you to hear. Sin shrugs at God. Its essence is failing to believe, not that he exists, but that he matters. I wonder for how many people in our lives, oh yeah, God exists, but you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't matter. Ain't that interesting? He doesn't matter until I stand before God one day because I want good fire insurance. I want God to pay. But I don't want to live a life following him. God does, though, right? God wants us to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. He wants us to grow in order to do that. The attitude is deadly if we have that attitude that God exists, but he doesn't matter. Fear of God and self-understanding grow or diminish together. Fear of God and self-understanding grow or diminish together. And he goes on in his devotion. What I want you to hear, and I'm going to give you a little phrase I want you to repeat after me because I think this is so important. Fear of God and self-understanding grow or diminish together. Here's a little phrase. It's harder to sin when I find my identity in him. Would you, let's just do that first part. It's harder to sin... When I find my identity in him. 
It's harder to sin when I find my identity in him. So what Ken Sandy would do is he would take his son, and whenever his son would, would misbehave, Ken Sandy wrote the book, The Peacemaker. Okay? He was a lawyer, all that kind of stuff. So when his child was having a hard time and disobe- disobeying, what Ken Sandy would say is, first of all, he wouldn't offer a correction. He'd just say, who are you in Jesus? And the little boy, he's been told over and over and over again. So he'd be like, well, I'm a new creation in Christ. I am loved. I am forgiven. I am precious in God's sight. And then he'd say, then Ken would look at his son and he'd say, and is what you're doing right now, is that consistent with who you are? So he didn't have to beat his son over the head to get him to confess. He'd just say, who are you and is this consistent with who you are? And his son would be gently led right to repentance. I wonder if we continue on in sin because we just think, well, this is who I am. I'm just a poor, miserable sinner. I'm just blah, 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 blah. Or how many of you struggle? And after your struggling is going on for a while, you're like, well, see, I must not even be a child of God. And then how much easier is it to continue on sinning? Because this is all who I am. Might as well just be who I am. I stink and I'm lousy, so therefore... Might as well do stinky, lousy things. But what would happen if we would remind ourselves that we are new creations in Christ? This actually, God always works in my life to say, hey, you're going to be preaching this Sunday, so here's the object lesson. Have a good time. (sighs) Okay, so it's not always a real good time, but it's usually pretty helpful because as I go through this and I start to have a negative attitude towards myself and I start to beat myself up and I try and build my identity on my performance or I try and build my identity on, look, I'm supposed to live this new way and look how I'm not doing it. This is a perfect little time to go on our little uh, rabbit trail over here. If you look in our text, Jesus says to Peter, get, me, get behind me. What does he call him? Satan. Satan. Well, not too many verses before this, Jesus, Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Right here, Peter is saying, look who you are. Peter gets it right. God the Father has shared this with you. Jesus says, that's how you know this. Excellent. Then Peter says what he said in our verses for today, um, certainly this will never happen to you. Okay? And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You know what? Peter kind of goes like this. You know who he reminds me of? All of you and me. You know what we do? We as Christians think, I belong to Jesus. Now, it should just be up and to the right. Kind of like business is supposed to be, right? Always being more profitable. Always doing better and better and better. Okay? It's almost like we say, I could just do this without Jesus. Jesus started the process. I'm good now. I've been forgiven. Now it's up to me. And just look at Peter's life. You know, after this, in the book of Galatians, Paul writes about how he had to correct Peter because Peter wasn't doing it right. You know what? Once Jesus rose from the dead, Peter still didn't get it right all the time. Jesus has risen from the dead for us. He's connected us to himself in our baptism. Guess what happens? We still don't do it right all the time. And I wonder what the biggest evil would be. What's the biggest evil that started all the sin in the world? Adam and Eve. Thank you so much. So Adam and Eve, Eve said, hey, looks good. Useful for gaining insight and understanding and wisdom, knowledge, right? 
So if I have this knowledge, I won't be dependent on God. What if the evil that needs to be overcome is me trying to live life not clinging to God? Not absolutely dependent on God. Not walking 100%, needing Him desperately every single day. And what if the struggles that I have in life are just the tools that God uses to help me to cling to Him more and more fully? Is that possible? It's a new way to look at an old problem. So, here we are. We have these things going on. Now, what I'd like you to think about is denying yourself. What does it look like to deny ourselves? Well, first off, to deny yourself is to deny yourself the opportunity to always look out for yourself. I'm in this relationship with somebody. I have this friendship with somebody. How does it make me look? I think I shared either with the Bible class or with you all last week. If I did last week, sorry, it's just such a good story. It fits for both weeks. Okay? So not too long ago, our neighbor moved. And as she was moving, she said, hey, come on over and get some food items that I'm either going to throw out or I'll I'd be glad to give to you. They're still good. So I went over and I got those. And as I, as I was getting things, she said, here's four other bags. If there's anything you want in these big garbage bags of frozen things, just grab them. So I'm going through them like... Jackpot, I just won the lottery for food. This is great. So I'm going over there and I'm searching through all that kind of stuff. And, and there's a guy, a worker, who's taking out all the stuff, okay? And so he's un, unhooking the fridge from the water, the water from the fridge. And as he does, water just shoots out. Because the, 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 the valve by the fridge was broken and the thing out by the street was broken. So they couldn't shut the water off. So it's just kind of spraying. He puts this, he's like the little boy with a dike. He sticks his thumb in there to stop it. And there's all this pressure. He, he's kind of like, this is painful. Okay? And so he's holding, holding, holding it. And you know what I'm doing? I'm like, this looks great. I'm gonna go, I'll put this in my bag and this in my bag. And you know what? I kept doing that for a few minutes. And he's struggling. And he's starting to get all wet. And, there's, I mean, and you know what I was? I was inconvenienced because I was starting to get a little spray on me. Now, before you think what a god-awful pastor we have, you ever do that? Now, you wouldn't do that. But do you ever miss out on the opportunity to actually be with someone to help serve, meet a need, to the disadvantage of yourself in order to help someone else? So eventually I went, got something else, came back with another bag because I was going to go through more stuff. And then somewhere along the way, God kind of thumped me I was like, what in the world am I doing? I was embarrassed and ashamed of myself and my actions. And so I finally got my head screwed on straight, thanks be to God, and I started offering different thoughts because you know how handy I am, right? (laughs) None, okay? But I I grabbed a hose from outside. First thing I said, well, can you try and get that back on? Because nothing else was working, and they were, one guy was soaked, and can you get that back on? He said, no, I can't do that. So then I ran outside and I grabbed a big water hose, and I thought, well, maybe this will work. That wouldn't work. But you know, within a minute, they got the other hose back on. Yay. Thanks be to God. But that's a great example for me of not denying myself. Or maybe what you don't do is you don't deny yourself the opportunity to think those fantasy thoughts about how 
how someone else you just love to get back at them. And you just play those thoughts through your brain time after time after time when God says, forgive. Mine is vengeance, not yours. You don't have to sit and dwell all the time on how you're going to get that person back. And if you just had the chance, man, you do it. And you just live in that fantasy world of that's what I'd like to do to that person. Do Christians ever do that? Oh, no, pastor. Not me. Are there ways that, that we don't deny ourselves when God actually calls us to deny ourselves? I think it's really interesting what Soren Kierkegaard said. So Richard Mars writes in his book, Soren Kierkegaard believed that the Danish Lutheran church of his day misused Luther's doctrine of justification by grace one-sidedly, focusing on Christian salvation and happiness something like the previously mentioned prosperity gospel of our age, and similar to Bonhoeffer's cheap grace critique of Lutheranism in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, he argued that the Danish church was not teaching people about the reality of suffering and struggle, anfectum, in their Christian lives. He read many of Luther's sermons and realized that Luther himself correctly voiced the tension between the joy of our salvation in Christ and the struggle we continue to have and anxiety and despair with anxiety and despair in this life. He realized that Luther understood the dialectical tension of our Christian life under the cross. There's a struggle. God calls us to live in the joy of our salvation, but there's also a struggle because we live as new people in Christ and yet old people who tend to struggle. And we tend to do what I did with my neighbor and just look out for myself instead of loving well. Because to love well without needing to do any other things would be a picture of the new man, right? But when I keep doing the old, do you ever live there? Am I really different than all of you? Or I know I am, but can you relate at all? And God calls us to a new way, to this new way. So it's not just, hey, I can rejoice in my salvation. Please do. But also recognize the struggle of walking with Jesus as he calls us to deny ourselves. Now, if we think on this just for a moment, uh, it also says for us in, let me see, just a second here, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. We want to deny ourselves the ease of life. The ease of life. If we think about the ease of life, what comes to mind? I just get to sit back and deal with what's going on with me. I don't have to actually involve myself with what's happening with other people. And yet, what does 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says? Therefore, my beloved brothers, those who have been loved by God and changed by God, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So God says, Ephesians 2, 10, for you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. In other words, you're not just sitting waiting for Jesus to come again. I hope you're waiting like crazy and longing for that day when Jesus will come again. But while you wait, there's things for you to do. And here's the hard part. I've got a congregation filled with people who are chronically suffering. Maybe the thing God calls you to do is to be a receiver. I know I've preached this before, but I really believe it. I think one of the hardest things in life is to receive. And yet, 
What does the scripture say? It is more blessed to So we all want that gift of being a giver, right? We all want that blessedness of being a giver, and yet God calls us to receive so that someone else might be blessed to give to us. It's hard. Then what I'd like you also to think about is one of the things we have to deny ourselves for is autonomy, and that's that self-rule. That's me getting to be in charge. I get to call the shots, okay? That's that really corny joke. Remember the really corny joke I gave you? about the doctor who walks up and down the halls in the hospital saying, measles, mumps, rubella. Measles, mumps, rubella. He keeps screaming that out, top of his, top of his lungs, okay? And then, or voiced. And then, and then one of the patients is sitting there saying, what's, what's Dr. such-and-so doing? And the nurse says, oh, that's just Dr. so-and-so. He likes to call the shots. <laughs> See, I told you it was really corny, okay? But I remember that one really well. So he likes to call, we like to call the shots, right? And so what I looked at before, I've heard this from Paul David Tripp. He says, you know what? When God made people, even before the fall, they were, and I've given this in my, in my little talks on a on, on daily basis, he makes us revelation receivers, interpreters, and worshipers. In other words, before the fall into sin, guess what people needed? We needed guidance from God. Because we just don't know how to do life without it. And how many of us want to do life desperately without it? And God says, no, no, no. Live under me. Deny yourself the right to rule and make all the choices. And instead, look to my word. Let my word guide you. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. Next one. Take up your cross. What does that mean? Well, that means Galatians 2.20. Don't worry, they get a lot shorter because I'm way out of time. Take up your cross. What does that mean? Well, Galatians 2.20 We've been crucified with Christ. We no longer live, but Jesus Christ now lives in us. The life we live and the body we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. What do we do? We recognize that we've died with Christ. We've been raised to a new life, and that new life is about giving ourselves away. Here's one other section from A Loving Life by Paul Miller. Suffering is the crucible for love. We don't learn how to love anywhere else. Don't misunderstand. Suffering does not create love. But it is a hothouse where love can emerge. Why is that? The great barrier to love is ego, the life of the self. In long-term suffering, if you don't give in to self-pity, slowly, almost imperceptibly, self dies. This death of self offers ideal growing conditions for love. So if my suffering doesn't lead me away from God, but more towards God, that's just the thing that puts to death all those things that would push me away from loving and serving others well. Take up our cross, die to self, and follow me. Follow Jesus. It's so fun that Concordia used to have the, um, lag, uh, the name of, um, what was it, creating, making, um, Christian... Developing Christian leaders. And one time a, a, another colleague said, wouldn't it be great if we said developing Christian followers? Because <laughs> that would be great, wouldn't it? That's kind of what we're called to do. So now as we think about this, my last little part to you is, what does it mean for us to do these things? What well, it means to follow Jesus? Did Jesus deny himself? 
Well, he denied himself as he went in the desert as the Spirit led him, right? He denied himself those food, that food and water for those 40 days and 40 nights. Did he deny himself any rest? Yeah, when he wanted to take his disciples to be by themselves for a while. Then what happened is that Jesus was surrounded by the crowds and he gave up his rest to love and serve them. Did Jesus go without uh, deny himself shelter? Well, yeah. Birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Okay. Did Jesus deny himself? Yeah, how about this? How about when he was, before being crucified, he said, I can call down 12 legions of angels to clean up this mess of you people. But he didn't. He denied himself. And finally, is it all right for Jesus to be the judge? He is God, right? Is vengeance his? What did Jesus say at the cross? Father, did he deny himself his right to exercise vengeance there? Yeah. Do you know why he did that? Because of, of Hebrews chapter 12. Jesus, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame. I hit some things over and over and over again because I want you to hear them over and over and over again. Who for the joy set before him, the joy of seeing you live and reign with him forever. Live and reign with him forever brings him joy for you. When we live in this right way before God, this denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following him, what we're doing is focusing on Jesus. Did Jesus do all the things in Romans 12, 9 through 21? Yes. Did he follow perfectly what his father gave him to do? Yes. So how do we do it? Well, first, we receive his gift of love and forgiveness, his gift of salvation, his gift of Christ who's lived our lives for us perfectly. And second, we follow the one who followed his father. We receive and we just keep our eyes open for the opportunities God gives us to labor in his name. Amen?